Welcome to Season 2 of Off the Deck. I'm your host, Steve Carrera, and each episode, I sit down with a member of the water polo community to talk to them about what helped make them successful in the world of water polo. In this episode, I sit down with John Abdu, the Chief High Performance Director at USA Water Polo. If you enjoyed the episode, do me a favor, leave a five-star review on iTunes or share it with a friend. And if you have any feedback, you could always find me on Twitter at Steve Carrera, or you could email me at stevegcarrera at gmail.com. Finally, if you want to donate to this podcast, you can donate at patreon.com slash off the deck. Thank you very much, and I hope you enjoy the episode. All right, we are here at Orange Lutheran High School. Uh, lucky to have John Abdu, the Chief High Performance Officer at USA Water Polo. So I've been looking forward to this for a long time. Yeah. Uh, we go back away, way yeah. back. So I just want to thank you for being here and uh, being on the podcast. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. I was looking forward to it as well when you, when you asked a while back. And uh, I really appreciate the platform that this is serving for coaches around the country to, to get better and improve. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so, I mean, like I said, we, we do go back a ways and, um, you know, I know you've been super busy, you know, NC2A's mm-hmm. just, just ended. And, mm-hmm. and so I, I want for the audience that doesn't know you uh, very well, I want to know, yeah. you know, how did you get involved with water polo? how did you get involved with coaching yeah. and what led you up to the point where you are now? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, I think everybody has a different, a different path or a different story. And I think for me that one of the more uh, unique things about my, my coaching, path was that um, I didn't come from an area where water polo was really uh, blossoming or, or going. I didn't come from Orange County or Palo Alto or even Greenwich, Connecticut or something like that where water polo was a mainstay. I grew up in Temple City, uh, California, um, and uh, which is kind of near Pasadena and near the Rose Bowl. Um, the Rose Bowl Club was just getting started at that time, you know, when I was growing up. And um, I, we weren't, they weren't even qualifying for JOs. I wasn't getting out there. Um, anyway, I was playing basketball. At Temple City High School, freshman freshman basketball, I didn't even know what water polo was. And then the summer after my freshman year, um, I had uh, done swim team because my older sister had done swim team. And this in the summer, so this is I was you know sixteen at the time, mm-hmm. fifteen sixteen at the time. Someone was like, "Hey, you should try this water polo thing." I walked by the pool and I ended up playing summer water polo with the team and just immediately fell in love. You know, so uh, for me, I didn't find out about what the sport was till that age. You know, till the summer between my freshman and sophomore year in high school and then, you know, played in high school and then, uh, went on, a, went on a UC Irvine and then right after college, uh, started coaching high school immediately. In fact, I coached a little high school during college. When I got injured, I started driving back and forth from Irvine to Temple city, oh, wow. help coach the team. Um, and then just to, just to, you know, uh, wet the taste buds, so to speak. And yeah. then right after college started coaching at, um, Burbank high school. Um, and I was teaching, five periods a day of U.S. government there and uh, and coaching boys and girls water polo. Ended up helping them build a new facility there and and, and, and was there for almost five years. And then from after that, I went, took, a, took a flyer on becoming the assistant coach at Bucknell University in Pennsylvania. Um, and then uh, I was there for six years, ended up being the head men's and women's coach at, at Bucknell. Um, and then from Bucknell, moved to UC Santa Barbara um, with Wolf Weigo and took uh, the associate head coaching job at UC Santa Barbara there did that for almost four years and then from there um took on uh this new role uh, at usa water polo um and then of course in between all of those years lots of coaching camps and clinics and zone teams and odps and some national teams and uh a lot of different coaching endeavors along the way but yeah that's the about 18 19 year story in 30 seconds yeah Yeah. so i mean we're like on the same we're about the same age i'm 41 just turned 41 yeah yeah, Um, yeah, yeah so 
we have sort of similar <laughs> paths in yeah. terms of the length of, yeah, yeah, of everything's yeah. going on. But I wanted yeah. to sort of there's a lot to like a um, lot in that chunk. Yeah, yeah. Um, some interesting side notes just yeah. because I knew you when you were at UCI. Yeah, I was yeah. going to go to UCI and then I ended up going to Queens College instead yeah, I remember. Yeah, at the yeah. very last minute. Yeah. Um, you played with Ryan Bailey. Yeah. You played with Janai Kerr. Yeah. You played with Dan Klatt, um, Andy Kaufman, who's mm-hmm. now at Servite, um, Jesse Briggs, who's mm-hmm. now running Back Bay. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I'm leaving out uh, several, yeah. you know, that, but um, what was that? experience like because Ryan Bailey and Janai Kerr and Dan Klatt were already starting to get noticed and they were already becoming good players. Mm. How did that drive your coaching mentality, you know, learning from maybe one of the best ever in Newland, yeah, seeing yeah. all these great players, you, you know, you're keeping up and you're trying to be with them and then taking that over to Temple City. Right. How did that translate? Yeah. You know, that's, a, that's, that's a really good question. And cause for me, and, and I'm, I'm always honest with people about this, right? Like I, I chose you, sir. Newland re- recruited me. I went on five, six recruiting trips, you know, and Newland, but by far was just like the, something clicked, right. Listening to that guy, he like invited me into his house, right. Which he did for all recruits and, you know, yeah. sat in his office and I did, I had to listen for an hour and a half, right. There wasn't a lot of talking. <laughs> there was just a lot of listening, yeah. but I left there thinking like, man, like this, this is something different, right? This is something special, but I was way over my head. Like the, just to be clear, like I, I came from Temple city. I just started playing water polo when I turned basically 16 years old. Yeah. I wasn't playing club water polo. I look at all these kids now that start when they're eight, nine years mm. old or like, like your son, right? Yeah. Son of a coach or someone who's, you know, he's got a probably a pretty good trajectory considering the resources that are going to be around him. I had none of that. Right. Um, I went to Rose bowl occasionally. And even at that time, wasn't a very good club. And my parents were not athletic people. Right. Yeah. So, um, the athletics is not kind of off their radar. So when I went to Irvine, Irvine's top four in the country at that time, right? I mean, competing for national championships every year, probably not the best water polo decision for me, right? <laughs> like, frankly, yeah. like if I was getting good advice or like good good advice from my parents or from other other or coaches or people, I should have gone to Claremont McKenna, which was also, you know, I was yeah. interested in Redlands. UMass offered me a spot, yeah. you know, like, you know, if I had gone to one of those places, maybe my athletic career would have gone a different way. But I don't think my coaching career would have gone the same way, right? Yeah. So it's kind of like that backup catcher syndrome in baseball where they say the backup catcher is always like ends up being a good coach. Yeah. I, had, I had to watch a lot at Irvine, right? I didn't get I didn't I wasn't as good as the guys you mentioned, you know, um, and I was and it's kind of a fish out of water because I wasn't developed or ready for that opportunity. So hanging around those guys and being there and, and trying to compete at that level um, definitely put my athletic you know, career uh, on the back burner, but made me think more about what I wanted to do for a living and think about my life and spending a lot of time with Newland. And then I got hurt, like mm-hmm. halfway through my career, I got hurt. So I didn't ever finished playing um, through. And, and Newland was not the kind of guy who was really sympathetic about that. Like I got, <laughs> yeah. I got a hernia like in the weight room, like middle of like, uh, you know, hell month, you know, as we say, and I called Newland, I'm from the hospital. And I remember saying, Hey man, you know, like this is, this just happened. And he goes, well, that's all good. I just recruited Jeff power. So, it's, you know, and then he <laughs> up the phone on me. Um, and, uh, those were literally his words. And, you know, so that was like a gut punch, you know? Um, and so you start thinking about, it, and then I started, you know, TAing and teaching and at the school, like as an undergraduate oh, okay. TA, and then I started coaching more and that's how, so that's, how funny why why that question is interesting to me is that that's how I got into coaching. It was like by chance. Yeah. Had I gone somewhere else, maybe my career would have gone somewhere else, yeah. you know, yeah. and I would have played all four years and I would, you know, gotten more minutes and done all those things. But what happened to me, I'm, I feel really fortunate that that's what happened, even though at that time my head wasn't ready to be a Division One athlete yeah. at yeah. A, a national uh, championship contender type school. I certainly was not ready and that showed. Um, 
I, I gained a lot out of being with those guys. And to this day, those are my, those are the people, the guys I played with and the guys um, I went to, frankly, went to school with and spent the time with some of my um, closest mentors, I would say. So you went to, um, you're at Bucknell. Yeah. And, you know, everybody wants to expand the sport. Everybody thinks expanding and and growing into different states and Mm -hmm. is great, which I agree with that. Mm -hmm. And so you have a different perspective, obviously, now looking back. What was your perspective then in terms of like, were you thinking, I want to get Bucknell to the top of the mountain? Yeah. Um, How am I going to get people here? You know, what was your approach when you got to Bucknell? That's to me... um, I know one of the questions you ask in this thing and, and you emailed me earlier was like, what advice do you give kind of yeah, younger coaches? Yeah. So uh, I'll fast forward. Right. Yeah. I, I was at Burbank high, right. For almost five years. I was coaching boys and girls, water polo, um, teaching lots of different subjects in the social science department. And I remember, you know, it was going great. I loved it, you know, and I, and I just picked up this class I really wanted, which was AP psychology. And I was teaching AP psych and sociology. And was, I had like the best teacher schedule you could think of. And then my my principal was like, hey, man, stick around. And in 25 years, you're going to be able to retire. <laughs> and next year, we'll make you the social science department yeah. chair. And then I just, my face went, you know, as white as it gets. And I am like, uh, I, I need to run. You know, like yeah. this is like, I kind of felt like, oh, no, I'm going to be here for a long time. So I took a massive risk, you know. And so um, I moved to Buck, if, for those who don't know where Bucknell is, right, you can Google it, but it's in central Pennsylvania. Yeah, my wife went there, yeah, actually. Yeah, actually, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and played on the team there for, a, for this, a year. This is true. And I, I got there right when Taylor was uh, was finishing up. Yeah. And, and so we missed each other. I never coached Taylor, yeah. right? But we just missed each other by one season, I think it was, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, so she'll tell you, right? Middle of nowhere out there. Uh, and I went alone, right, by myself, 25 years old. Um, and I took this massive risk because I wanted to advance my career and think what was out there. And in my head, I'm going to be at Bucknell for two years max. I was going to get my master's in education there, right? Which I ended up finishing a long time after that, right? Not right away, but uh, I was going there. I'm like, hey, I'll be the assistant coach. I'll get my master's degree in education. I'll come back to teaching. Hey, everything will be great. The next thing I knew I was there for six years. Obviously, things changed. Um, But my perspective going out there to answer your question was, what can I do to better myself, right? And because I think where coaches um, sometimes stutter in their own professional development is they're unwilling to take risks. Mm-hmm. So I go back to what I did. I, again, I was 25. I went alone. Right? I lived in California my, my pretty much my whole life, um, you know, and went out there and ended up uh, renting the the slave quarters of a colonial home, right, in, like, Jeez. downtown Pennsylvania, right, wow. uh, or sorry, downtown Lewisburg, all right, which is, like, these all old colonial homes, and they're like, yeah, come check out this, you know, side house, and, like, the stairs go in the back, and it's this, like, little loft, and wow. then I, like, did the research on the house. It's like, yeah, this is where the slaves used to live in, wow. in the home. It was this really neat experience, though, right, yeah. and the rent was $100 a month, right, $100 a month, and my wow. contract was for $23,000 a year, which, again, doesn't sound like a lot. You're like, man, what are you in doing? Lewisburg, though. Twenty three thousand Lewisburg. Yeah, I was like yeah. making, a, I was like making six figures. Yeah, you know, you're so, <laughs> I, was, I was living large. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was this really neat experience. And then again, going to school and doing that. And but I think the, but I it definitely opened my perspective on a lot of things. It's not just water polo on the East Coast, which we can talk about water polo on the East Coast. We can talk about water polo in Pennsylvania, which has yeah. a, a booming high school yeah. program. Like going to. Going to recruit at a Pennsylvania high school state championship that was just as packed as the CIF Division One final here in Southern California, if not more, and just like the stands and the, and the madness that goes with it, and the school pride, all that was really cool, and it was a cultural experience, right? right? Like living away from yeah, that was kind of like my going away to college for the first time, yeah. right? And yeah. uh, and being there for for a long time, so 
Yeah, it was a really interesting experience, and I'd recommend coaches to get out of their comfort zone and take advantage yeah. of these opportunities. I, I think that's a really cool, like, sort of visual to think about walking into a high school state championship mm-hmm. if you're a college coach. Right. I mean, Bucknell probably even bigger because right. you're local and everyone knows who you are. But you know, I, I know there's probably not a lot of Division One uh, schools that are going out and recruiting. You know, out on the East Coast uh, in high schools, but there are diamonds in the rough out there. There are athletes that can compete. And I mean, they've proven that year in and year out in the mm-hmm. NC2A. There's always right. a guy from the East Coast coming from a different perspective who is contributing, doing well, developing. You know, it's just a matter of, you know, getting some exposure. So coming out from the West Coast and seeing that, that must have been really a really cool experience for sure. Yeah. One of my favorite, the best thing about coaching at Bucknell, and honestly, I probably would have been there for 30 years. It was, it was an awesome job. Yeah. Right? The only difference was my whole family, right? My, and then I, and then I got married and my wife, yeah. everybody's in Southern California. And now we all live within less than an hour of each other. Yeah. And that family is first, right? Most for important. Sure. But if not, I really thought that was a dream job for me. And it was, it was really ideal. One of the coolest things to your point that you're talking about was having a roster of mainly non-California kids. I would do that again in a heartbeat. That was the that was the funnest thing because you had a chip on our shoulder. Yeah. Kids from Pennsylvania, kids from New York, kids from New Hampshire, uh, girls from New Mexico, Texas, wow. Chicago, right? Illinois, St. Louis, you know, like all Florida, you know, all these different places. You'd have this diversity on your roster mm-hmm. that is so much fun to be around. And these kids that are so hungry for water polo knowledge and experience. Yeah. And then you take a group like that and then you try to compete against the West Coast schools. There was so much pride in that. And then so my favorite moments were like, you know, playing really close games with MPSF schools and play, you know, and yeah. beating, beating WWPA schools and beating, you know, all these West Coast schools that have a roster full of California kids. And you're like, and I just beat you with, you know, a center, a, a center from Pennsylvania yeah. and my goalies from Brooklyn, New York. And, you know, this other kids from New Hampshire and, and we just, you know, whooped on you. And it was, yeah. it's a great feeling. And it, was, really cool. and it was a lot of fun, you know, in that sense. Um, and those are some of my best memories in that. But yeah, sometimes there would be two kids on the roster from California as opposed yeah. to the full. So yeah, it was yeah. really neat. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. That's very cool. Um, so, you know, taking that conversation and applying it to this question, yeah. um, what is, what is your overall feeling about you know college water polo right now? What where do we where do you think we are in college water polo? Yeah, that's a that's a that's a really interesting question because a lot of it depends on the angle you want to look at it from, right? Yeah. And so, um, well, let's look at it from the angle of continuing to grow and and sort of not being on the chopping block, I guess it mm-hmm. always seems like there's a, always a little fear that right. is this going to survive? Are we still going to totally. have water polo in college? Totally. What about that side of it? That's a good point. It's so funny. Cause I think if you ask a lot of water polo, a college water polo coaches, like if they went in and tried to renegotiate for like salaries or like raises with their bosses and ADs at schools, the first response would be like, well, you're lucky water polo is a yeah. college sport. So <laughs> you're not going to get a raise, you yeah, know? And like, no, so I think point. that gloom and doom that you're talking about and you coach college, you get it. You know, you know that there's this kind of gloom and doom out there there that like a water polo is eventually going to go away on the college level. And I, I think we're far past that, right? Like we're far past any kind of gloom and doom stage, you know, and some of that was manufactured. Some of it was true, right? Some, and, um, uh, one of the things I do in my, you know, spare time, uh, which, you know, is a little sarcastic when I say that (laughs) is I'm the, uh, executive director of the association of college water polo coaches. So, um, I took on that challenge. A lot of the work is done by the president, Felix Mercado, right. Head coach at Brown, Brown university. But I, I serve as the executive director to help kind of 
now try to professionalize that organization okay. because we try to when we try to talk about that growth and like are we on the chopping block, a lot of that has to do with the coaches, right? The coaches' behavior and what the coaches do as a profession. The more we professionalize the 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 sport of water polo on the coaching level, refereeing level, every level, the more likely we're going to have some stability, right? Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah, you no, know? it makes sense. Um, and so we need career water polo coaches. And so that's one of the goals of the association is to try to help professionalize, you know, us as coaches. And I would say um, I don't think water polo is on the chopping block anymore, um, but I think we need to be concerned of how we're growing and, and the manner in which we're growing and also be re- realistic about how we're going to grow, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. you're saying, like, in terms of the realistic part, yeah. don't expect every single top university to have water polo. Right, it's right. probably not going to happen. But yeah. expect some – it looks like it's almost expanding from the inside of the United States and, and out, you know, like you mm-hmm. got some Texas programs. Yeah. You got some, I think um, there was a new one that just... Milliken just added in Milliken, Illinois. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. is that like where you see things mm-hmm. going right now is like inside out? Yeah. And I think we have to like take some history lessons, right? And I think, again, water polo is not unique in its challenges. And I think that's one fallacy that we like to create for ourselves, that we're special and we're different and we're out there. No, we're, we're just like every other Olympic sport yeah. that's out there battling for their space amongst the bigger sports, right? Yeah. And so... You try to look for some comps, right? Some comparables, right? So the comparables would be something like lacrosse, right? And when lacrosse grew on the collegiate level, it was almost entirely on the Division Two and Division Three levels, mm-hmm. right? It was those Division Two, Division Three schools, and now you're talking about hundreds of those programs that are offering lacrosse. Just to give everyone perspective on it, right? We're at about, you know, in the in the low 60s for women's varsity programs. That includes Divisions One, Two, and Three all together. Okay. And then on the men's side, we're approaching 50. We're at 48, 49. You know, with Milk and some of these other things adding, we'll we'll, we'll across the 50 school mark here, which again, if you look at it from that angle, we're, we're slightly growing. Yeah. There's a very meager growth that yeah. we're having, but that means overall about, you know, let's call it round up to 50 men's programs, 60 women's varsity programs. And that includes all division one, two, and three. That makes us a pretty like minor spot in the eyes of yeah. the NCAA, right? It's not a lot of programs. So if you're going to have growth and we need to, and we need to show substantial growth, it has to, we have to do it on the division two and three level so that we can say, hey, we have a hundred programs, right? Mm-hmm. We have the, so that it shows there because that's where you're going to get the growth. So again, lacrosse division two and three really took off. Um, a project that I've been working on now for the last like, year and a half has been trying to create a division three national championship um, for water polo um, because again, history lesson to go back to men's volleyball. We're really some men's water polo on the collegiate level and men's volleyball on the collegiate level, like almost exactly the same. Mm-hmm. There's only 23 division one. Uh, men's volleyball programs in the country. Wow. And think about how big volleyball yeah, is, right? Yeah, surprising. It's incredibly surprising. So we we talk to their leadership a lot, and we try to kind of think of some strategies. They they don't have a Pac-12 conference. They have uh, the MPSF, just like us, right, mm-hmm. and things like that. So um, so men's volleyball, let's go back to talking about the Division Three championship. 1997, men's volleyball decided, hey, we really need to grow on the collegiate level, right? This is going to be an issue for us. We need more programs. So they, uh, the College Coach Association, Volleyball College Coach Association, partnered with Molten, the the Molten, right, the the ball company, right, okay. they, they, the volleyball ball company, and then they sponsored the Molten Division Three Men's Volleyball Championship, okay. non NCAA sponsored, right, not sanctioned, but from that point, 1997, starting this championship, they said, well, if we have this, this can give the incentive for other for Division three schools to add varsity water polo because now they can tell their ADs, they can tell the president of the campus, we're going to be able to compete for a national championship, yeah, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And so over that time, and I don't have the exact numbers right in front of me now, but this is part of the project we're working on, is the exponential growth that happened on the Division three level for um, uh, men's volleyball 
was huge. And then they added, you know, 40, 50 programs 13 years later, right? 13 years later, the NCAA said, wow, you guys have a lot of Division III programs. We're going to officially sponsor the oh. national championship on the Division III level. So we're thinking right now we have about 18 Division III schools across the country. We're seeing more add, right? Left and right, Austin College, yeah. Milliken, right? This is where the growth can happen. If we have this championship, can now this thing grow, right, where we have 50, 60, and eventually maybe we don't have to wait 13 years, right? Hopefully we can fast forward yeah. and get the NCAA to officially sponsor Division Three championship. That's going to give us a broad base. It Does it does it address the next questions of, like, high performance and national teams? I mean, does it give yeah. us, like, good stuff? Not as much, right? Yeah. But is it going to give us a broad base of participation, which is what we're looking for? Yeah, no, and I think the— the broader the participation, mm-hmm. the longer people are playing through into masters, through in post-college, right. the more you can create leagues outside of college. So, yeah, I mean, I think that approach, because, I mean, we're not all going to be Hunnis Dalbay or right. Rash Moulton or Tony right. Azevedo right. or whoever. I mean, right. you know, like there's only a few of those and they already have a place to be right. that we don't, we don't need to worry about them. But, you know, mm-hmm. I'll put myself, Steve Carrera's, mm-hmm. You put yourself in that category too, you know. Like, mm-hmm. where could I have gone to make have a really good experience? Right. I love water polo. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, I would love to play UCLA or whatever, sure. but it may not be the right fit for me. I may not want to go away from my home state. I right. mean, you know, there's so many different factors. I think that's a really smart approach to to growing the sport instead of top down. Let's look in the middle and, right. and kind of let it fill up. Yeah, way. it has to be that way. It has to be. That way. And, not, and that's not just because it was some original, like, genius yeah. idea. But yeah. this is clearly what other sports have done and have found success in. Yeah. And then there's also the point of these universities, can we make them – what's the incentive for – let's look at it both ways. What's the incentive for University of Florida to add Division One water polo now? That would be awesome, right? We're all sitting here like, the Florida Gators should have it, right? How cool <laughs> yeah. would that be? Or University of Texas, Austin, right? Oh like, Penn State, like, all these other Big Ten schools, which, again – and I've had these conversations. I've yeah. sat down with those ADs. I've looked them in the eye and I've thought, hey, let's talk about water polo. Let's 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 what can we do? What can be done? You have this facility. So believe me when I say I'm not coming from a place of um, expertise, but I'm coming from a place where we've myself and others um, that we're working with have hit the ground and the pavement. and We're trying right yeah. to grow. What you're going to hear from those schools is the cost of running a varsity football programs has escalated in, in an, really kind of insane, no other word to use except insane way over the last, you know, five, yeah. six, seven years, right? Now they're paying for food. Like every one of their operating budgets for just for NCAA football alone, Division One football alone, has risen to three to five million on average, Jeez. right? And we're talking, I'm saying, hey, I need you to add varsity water polo. I think you could do it for like 200 grand as a startup, right? Yeah. And then here, US Water Polo is going to give you the goals and the caps, and we're going to give you a starter yeah. kit, and the coach association is going to help you find a great coach. And here's here's this package for you to go. And those Division One schools look at us and say, hey, man, even if we had the money, we wouldn't do it, right? All our resources are going this into this other direction, yeah. and we don't have time and space. Now, take that conversation, flip it on its head. I'm talking to a Division Three AD who's now hearing from their president saying, you know what? Enrollment is down. We're not yeah. even getting the same number of applications at this yeah. school on a yearly basis. And I say, hey, you add varsity water polo at your school. Not only are you going to help your enrollment, you're going to get 20 uh, male athletes, 20 female athletes, 40 more people going to your school. Yeah. We're going to increase your applications by, you know, 100, 100, 200 applications a year because people are going to come in. And you're going to start making money off water polo. Yeah. And these kids, because there's no scholarships on the Division three level, they're going to pay tuition, yeah. right? And fortunately for us, fortunately and unfortunately, right, we could talk about this some other time, we're in fairly affluent sport, right? Yeah. So I can say, hey, you're going to get kids from all these dif- different pockets. They're going to pay full tuition at your school. Now, if you're Milliken, you're thinking, and you're Austin College, you're like, 
man, adding water polo is a no-brainer, Yeah, right? well, let's I not know. even go too far. I mean, right. I went through this exact experience with Concordia. Correct. Yeah, you were there, right? right, right. I mean, that's exactly why we started the program. Right. Right. And we actually, yeah. I was asked to speak with the Vanguard University athletic director. I remember that, yeah. I started the Vanguard University program and said, mm. you know what, here's mm. the budget, here's what you need to do. And I got a great coach, right. my brother. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, <laughs> Here you yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, you're not just talking it. I mean, right. I've actually lived exactly totally. what you're... And it's totally. true. I mean, we increased enrollment by 100 mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in at Concordia. And we did have some scholarships. We tried to do an NAIA championship where we put it all together. We got APU, CBU, right. us. We actually invited Caltech, I think. We were, we were invited some other schools that mm-hmm. were weren't going to their conference championships. Right. It was great. I mean, they threw me in the pool. They did the whole thing. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, it, it was yeah. a really cool experience. But I think until it gets legitimized by the NC2A and says, okay, we back you, it's really mm. hard to sell it until that stamp of approval comes in, which I would mm. assume is probably one of the biggest challenges that you have is, is you know, getting enough numbers for them to care. Basically. Correct. Yeah, and that's the and if you look at Washington Jefferson tried to cut their program a few years ago. You remember yeah, if you remember yep, this, the, the AD came out and his first thing was, well, there's no chance for us to win a championship ever, so we're going to cut the program. Right? Mm-hmm. The alumni, other people in that area, all fought, and now think thankfully they didn't cut the program. Yeah. But he came out right and said it. Right? The, the, these ads are saying it. We need a championship to compete for. Yeah. Right. So if we put this championship out there, hopefully at some point, you know, the NCAA recognizes it, but. ADs and, and presidents, they're driven by winning, right? Yeah. And they're driven by recognition, but they're also, and they're driven by money, right? They're Revenue, driven by yeah. en- enrol- enrollment. So you're right. What happened at Concordia? I wish we could replicate that again. I wish Vanguard would have yeah. kept it. You know, yeah. I wish all the, but these are the, when people, I'll get the, the, the snarky comment, right? Oh, Milliken's adding water polo in Illinois. Like, <laughs> like that's going to help us, you know? Yeah. And it's like, yeah. no, it actually is, right? It's yeah. a big deal, right? Monmouth College, which is also in Illinois, has Division three varsity water polo. They need people to play, yeah. right? And then guess what? When those two start playing each other, then the rest of that league can start picking up. And yeah. same thing with Texas. Austin College, they have a good experience. The goal is that the league that Austin College competes in athletically, those other schools start adding water polo, yeah. right? And we start going. I've had talks to the Ohio Athletic Conference, Division three in Ohio. There's a lot of kids playing water polo in Ohio. Yeah. They need places to go, right? So we got Wittenberg out there and other schools. like So it can grow on that level there's the potential there right yeah and then hopefully man i mean we, we all in our lifetimes but we, then we could see ut in florida yeah you know be and, and the big 10 schools yeah. can continue to grow you know one last one last uh point on yeah you brought up the snarky comment thing yeah yeah i actually had a conversation uh with greg meskel yeah we do like these broadcasts you do yeah yeah yeah, well. yeah and he said to me one time he's like you know i don't understand because he comes from not water polo you know <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and he said, you'll never understand. I, I put something on social media about like, hey, the Illinois state champ or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I'll always get a comment saying, oh, we'd kill them if they were in California or yeah. we'd this or that. Yeah. And it's like the same people who pr- say, let's grow it. We need more water polo. We need more water polo. The same ones who sometimes bring it down, you know, and, and that's unfortunate. It's, and it's interesting that you brought that up because mm-hmm. it sort of reinforces that. But um, mm-hmm. OK, so. That's a pretty good overview of collegiate water yeah, polo. Yeah, and yeah, obviously yeah. your role is, uh, that is a big part of, I would assume, of, yeah. of, of what you do at USA Water Polo. What about mm. the national team? What, yeah. How do you feel about the national team and, and where it's going and, and basically your feeder program, Yeah, yeah. Uh, which, which includes high schools and includes eight clubs and it includes colleges, you know. How do you think that's going right now? 
Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. I, I have some concerns. I'll just to be direct. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's going. It's it's going. You know, if I look at it from the angle of everything's rosy, right? We've got a lot of kids playing. It's growing, right? There's there's a way to look at it. But I, is I'm, the overall number of kids yes, growing? Okay. Yes, the overall number of kids playing water polo in America is growing. Okay, right, and that's a really cool thing in relation to the fact that most participation in youth sports is dropping. Less and less kids are playing football. Less and less kids are playing soccer. Like just in general, more kids are playing Fortnite, right? Than than getting out on the field, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. And somehow for us, our participation continues to grow. Not dramatically. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not yeah. making a scene, but we're slightly growing. And I think that has a lot to do with kids wanting, making sure that parents want to make sure their kids are water safe and kids are getting in the water, and yeah. you know, and obviously splash ball and different. Like we're now. If you walk at most pools, and I think that needs to be continue to be a motto for U.S. Water Polo, everybody, that polo in every pool, mm-hmm. there's goals, there's equipment, there's balls, right? There's kids that, you know, potentially go through that, yeah. and that's got to be the case. So it is growing, and it's growing slowly. Um, so that's cool. Um, is it? But I'm not satisfied. I guess that's where my concerns are. If you ask me about the national teams, you ask me about ODP, or you ask me about any of the kind of pipeline in general, um, certainly not satisfied, and I, certainly, and, I have, and I have some concerns. And I think um, the relationship between the NCAA and – the national team pipeline, right? The way that those two interact is always something that we have to be aware of. And that's not just a concern in water polo. It's a concern in a lot of sports, right? Mm-hmm. Because the system in America is based on the is based on scholastics, right? You know this. A lot of people who are intimately uh, in the sport know this, right? That here you go to, you go to school, and then you go to you play, and potentially you have a middle school league, and then you're playing in high school, and then you play in college. Whereas our competitors in around the world, Europe, South America, wherever it's out is that you start in a club and then you stay in that club the whole way and there aren't yeah. any interruptions to the calendar and there's not interruptions to the training and that's a whole other podcast or something we can yeah. talk about later. Um, and it's funny, so I, one of the cool things I think about my job is that I have to spend a lot of time thinking about this and just even a couple of days ago I started putting together kind of more of a presentation yeah. about every level of the pipeline that you just described, right? College, age group, youth high school, entry points, postgraduate masters yeah. and I just started listing all the data and the science that kind of supports some of the bigger questions and concerns there. I'm trying to piece this together now. Um, but there are concerns on every level. And for me, the concern is that as we talk about the visual of that pipeline from someone entering the sport of water polo to then finishing and playing at the highest level they can possibly possibly play is broken, right? So that's dysfunctional, but the period, in, in, in America. And again, that's not just water polo, it's a lot of sports, yeah. right? Which is why you see, and, and it may happen here at Olu and some other places, right, where USA Soccer started coming out and saying, you guys shouldn't even be playing high school, yeah. right? And they yeah. soccer, they soccer, they swimming. take their kids out. Swimming, they do it. Yeah. Tennis, that's one of the biggest things. Like this and some of these like big sports institutions that are opening up in like Florida where you just like send your kid, right? And they're going to play their sport most mm-hmm. of the day and then school will be part of it, right? Yeah. Um, IMG well, Academy is what it used to be back in Florida. In Florida. I think that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah. IMG. Yeah. Or in like the rise of places like Laurel Springs, right? Laurel Springs is that online high school courses that you can take, oh, right? Wow. Um, and well, they have an official partnership with USA Tennis, right? They're official partners, meaning like if you want to really be good at tennis, you're probably not going to A, play for your high school team and B, you may not even go to your, you know, kind of traditional high school, right? You're yeah. going to do something different and go. So this is a concern across the board here in America is how do you create a pipeline that goes entry point all the way to the highest levels? And for us, there's, again, along the way, there's different challenges for us that kids drop. You can talk about the easy one at first is the women, right? Because the women, obviously, we're the best women's team in the world. And we have this, you know, dominant program right Mm -hmm. now. And we can list all the factors that have led to its dominance. Um, Great coaching, phenomenal athletes, right? I mean, there's a ton of things that have kind of led to that. Opportunity. 
opportunity is the big one. So when we talk about the NCAA Women's League, that's the best women's water polo league in the world, period. There's no discussion. There's not like where's So players from around the world come to NCAA, and they get better when they come to yeah. the NCAA on the women's side. Gotcha. So they come here for opportunity to get better, and so that's why you see Maud Megan's playing for USC. You see, yeah. you know, the Hungarian athletes coming, the Italian athletes coming, Dutch athletes coming. Yeah. And this they're all where, over Indiana, Michigan. They're, they're all over the country. It's not just like they're going to the Wagner was a huge right, one, right? You know, right. where they got a lot of great athletes that were coming from all over the world. So that, yeah, that's a very, very good point. Yeah. And so it's interesting to see that, right? Whereas the, 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 on the men's side, if you talk to some of our older, you know, coaches or people have been here for a while, Right. The first the first impression Racco Rich had right when we when we hired him as kind of the first foreign coach in America was we must abolish the NCAA, right? Or we must the NCAA is in the way. And if you talk to foreign coaches, they would say, If I, if you want to go to the States to go to college and play in the men's NCAA league, you're not going to come back and play for our national team. Mm-hmm. You're going to get worse, right? It's a, it's an inferior league. And this is and this so it's it's like apples and oranges when you're talking about the men and the women, yeah. right? In terms of where the NCAA Yeah, I mean, there's is. limitations on practicing. There's limitation on games. There's limitation on the competition you can play. Right. You're right. only really playing. You know, if you're going to Stanford, mm-hmm. you're only really competing with five schools. Yeah. At yeah. the end of the day. I mean, let's be realistic. Let's it be wasn't realistic like that, that when you were in college. No, no. It was no. not like that when you were in college. But no. with the split of Long Beach State, UCI, UOP, which is great for them. Yeah. Because they have their own conference that they can compete for. And it helps them. creates a little equity. Mm. But at the end of the day... You know, you know, it, it was 10 schools when or was it 10 or eight schools when you were eight, in, eight. And, and add UC San Diego mm-hmm. in there, you know, and mm-hmm. Davis because mm-hmm. they were always doing well, too. So sorry to interrupt. But. No, no, you're not. Because the, I actually really glad you brought that up because I was I and, and again, I, I told you I'd shoot straight with you, you know, but I was saying I went to it was that we were both at NCAA just last weekend. Yep. Right. And and you had a better uh, seat than me. But. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, worth perks, as they say. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um but I would say that the thing that was going through my head, it was exciting, great atmosphere and all that stuff. But one thing that was consistently going through my head was like, I felt like it was Groundhog's Day. Yeah. Right? I really felt like, it, like I've seen this before. Right. Yeah. I've seen this before. This seems really odd. And to your point. Right. Let's let's just take that men's side of it for, for as a as the microcosm of this. Stanford, Cal, UCLA, USC, the only four Pac-12 schools that offer men's varsity water polo in America and we're saying that conference, but in America, they're the only, let's call it power conferences schools that mm-hmm. offer water polo, right? Only four. So based on the resources and based on how that's allocated and based on the circumstances, let's just say all things considered equal amongst those four, every year before the, the season starts, you and I could see and handicap the season and say yeah. that each of those schools has at minimum a 25% chance of yeah. winning the national championship, yep. right? So at minimum, before the season started... Nothing else considered, there's there's one in four chance that those teams are going to be in the championship. And the statistics have shown that. Or like 30 years, the last time somebody else other than one of those four schools won a national championship was 1997 in Pepperdine University, Pepperdine. right? Yep. Um, and, and a lot of good coaches came out of that and athletes came out of that, right? And Merrill Moses was on that team. Alex Rodriguez was on that team. Jack Coker was on that team, yep. right? Re- really interesting. Okay, the one before that, okay, was 1989, UC Irvine, right? UC Irvine, 1989. So then from 1989 to... 2019, which is coming up here in a few weeks, right? We have two non-Pac-12 schools that have won a national championship, right? So, okay, you asked me to take, I'm, I'm taking off all hats and I'm looking at this from uh, a third-party perspective. Yeah. Try explaining that to somebody, right, who yeah. doesn't know water polo or doesn't know the sport. They look and they say, well, well what's going on? But on the women's side, it's different. Mm-hmm. On the women's side, 
because you're having all these players from all over the world mm-hmm. come in, a Hawaii, mm-hmm. a Michigan. I mean, Michigan a couple years ago against USC, that was almost a right. huge upset right. at the UCLA uh, campus. It was mm-hmm. like um, NCAA mm-hmm. opening round. Where is it? Where does it break? I mean, where where is it that why can't we have? Was the conference breaking off better or worse? That's a good question. Yeah, I think it was. It was better, better on one side, and it was worse on the other side. Okay. So I can tell you, from a NCAA perspective, they did not like that at all, right? Because here's water polo, thinking we're special, making our own con- making up our own conferences, um, and now telling the the NCAA, hey, this brand new conference that only sponsors one sport, the Golden Coast Conference, they expect an automatic qualification bid to the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. And so now then somebody's like, you don't tell us who mm. gets AQs. And if you guys want an AQ, you want an automatic qualifier into the tournament, it better be in a multi-sport conference. We already have made-up, make-believe conferences, MPSF, GCC, CWPA, mm-hmm. WWPA. These are conferences that essentially only exist in water polo. Now, MPSF has volleyball, so a couple yeah. other sports. But generally speaking, the, all the conferences I just mentioned only have water polo. Yeah. NCAA wants us to have multi-sport legitimate conferences. Right, so if the Big West were to add men's water polo along with because they have women's water polo, that AQ that would make the NCAA really happy, right? Mm -hmm. That's my small plug to the Big West people. Hopefully, they're listening. Their offices are their offices are in Irvine, and I keep asking for a meeting. So, um, you know, but that needs to happen, right? Like Big West needs to come back. There used to be a Big West Big West men's water polo when we were younger and uh, and before. And so on that side, it was bad. The NCAA is thinking you guys can't make this up. CW play split into two conferences, right? They didn't like that either. Why? Why are you guys doing that? Now, well, yeah, you know, and I, as a as a former East Coast player, played yeah. at Queens, we always had to compete against UMass. Right. Bucknell was always a, a good team mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Navy, yeah. you know, yeah. But we had to win it all the way through. We mm-hmm. had to win the Northern. You know, mm-hmm. we had to win our first game at Northerns. Princeton and those had to win their first right. game at Southerns, right. and we had to win Easterns, and that that was how it went. Right. Splitting it off, it's like and. I love that George Washington Correct. won. It was Correct. awesome, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. it was super yeah. cool. And it was even cooler that they, I mean, sorry to yeah. uh, Derek Ellingson, who, yeah. you know, but, yeah. you know, it was awesome that they beat Princeton. But, at the, you know, if you look from my perspective, it's like there was an easier path to get to that NC2A game than what we had when we were, you know, we had to go through everybody on the East Coast. Totally, totally. Know? And that's the good, you're now alluding to the good part, right? You know, so the negative part is the NCAA wasn't too happy about it. And there may be some ramifications that down the line where the NCAA says no make-believe conference, no multi-sport yeah. conference is going to have an AQ. There's there's no doubt in my mind that they've had that conversation because they've told, the NCAA has told me this. It's mm-hmm. part of my job is to talk to them. They've told they've told me that. They're like, we, we may just say if any conference that's not multi-sport or recognized by the NCAA, you guys just don't get an AQ. So that's a, there's a danger in that sense. But now you also alluded to the good part. So George Washington now is given the opportunity yeah. to compete at this level. George Washington, again, when I was coaching at Bucknell, they never we never made it out past anywhere, yeah. um, and even into a conference championship or a league championship. It was difficult for them. Now, now they've invested more in the sport. You know, they've gotten some more scholarships, things like that. And now they're given the opportunity. And just giving that opportunity to play Princeton at Princeton in an quote-unquote NCAA game. Yeah. And as you pointed out, I think, on social media, that was the first time George Washington beat Princeton in 21 years. Yeah. So given an opportunity and that chance, they were down five in the fourth quarter, came back to win that game. So what happens if they weren't given that opportunity? Yeah. And they were yeah. limited to the regular season and didn't have the passion and the inspiration to try to fight and win that game. That may not happen. Yeah. And that's great for what happened there. It's great for water polo, yeah. right? 
Is it great for the non-Pac-12 West Coast men's schools to have their own conference and compete against each other and form their own destiny and, you know, have have those opportunities like UOP, Long Beach, Santa Barbara, right, Irvine, give these schools a path, right, to, to win a championship? Yeah, of course that's great. You know, of course that's great. But there's a bigger picture. It's not, it's not all rosy all the time, yeah. right? Um, and I think part of that break, though, that we need to see to kind of – everyone talks about parity. I'm not worried about parity. I think you said the, the right word. It's opportunity. Yeah. We, I, I'm not worried about having – 25 schools that are eligible to win a national championship. But right now we only have four. Yeah. Literally only have four schools that can win a national championship. That needs to be, obviously that pool needs to be larger. And then schools and athletes and parents, everybody, the mindset, even kids in, in our ODP program, everything, um, we need to all start thinking that there's not one way to do something, yeah. right? Yeah. So I think, and you coached you know, great athletes here, but I can tell you probably for Hannes and, and Ash, did it ever cross their mind to not go to a Pac-12 school. It's probably never in the equation. I mean, you're right. I don't think they saw a path to the Olympic Games Correct. without going to UCLA, USC, Stanford, or Cal. Cal. And that's... The UOP, I think, is sure. on the cusp, and they almost had an amazing national championship win uh, a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. I think Long Beach State did something great this year as well. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's the positive of that opportunity. Totally. But I see some players at Long Beach State that I know very well that... Mm-hmm. Could compete at an international level, but I think they feel like, well, once I'm done here because mm. I didn't do this, I'm done, you know? Right. And, you know, I think that was one question I had actually driving over here was, yeah. you know, when I was playing, um, I remember we did the Premier League. Right. And um, if you made the Premier League team, you were considered to be on the national B team. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was an A and a B team. And so... We eliminated that, right? I mean, for yeah. the most part. And I'm just wondering wh- why. Like, yeah. why don't we have a why don't we have a B team that goes into these other tournaments? That you mm-hmm. know, would that be so beneficial, or is it just too much money? Or yeah, I mean, obviously everything costs money, right? And yeah. that's usually generally the driving factor behind these decisions. But from an idealistic standpoint, would love to love to have that, you know. And I think one of the things I immediately did when I took the job, this job, five years ago. Premier League was dead for 10 years, yeah. right? The last, since so I took this job in end of 2013. And the first thing, one of the first things on my docket was, you know, revamp this, revamp that, you know, yeah. try to do some things. But one of them was like, we haven't had an elite men's league in yeah. 10 years. Now, the reasons why or how that happened are irrelevant. It was just we had this 10-year gap of having a, a Premier League. So we rebranded it as National League, yeah. right? Brought National League back. And the goal of that is can we have more and more athletes playing after college, you know, and can we have something domestically that's good? Is it where I want it to be right, you know, right now? No, but I think we got to kind of love the one you're with, right? Like work with what we got and and, and build it up. Yeah. Um, so I, to your point, I think that is where you're getting national B type players and, and guys who have performed well in that league have been invited to national team practice, mm. right? Like, and then say, hey, you got to come and come, you're doing well, come, let's see if that translates. Like Jack Turner was a great example, right? Out of UC San Diego. Yeah. Nobody really knew who he was, but the coaches, uh, his coaches said, hey, by the way, we have this 6'8 guy. He's a freak athlete. He's going to be a really good goalie. He's unpolished. You know, he's, he's, he's a little mm-hmm. raw. He's not ready, but so, but we want him on the National League team. Okay, all right. So I threw him on a National League roster, USA yeah. Collegiate or whatever. And then he started playing, and everyone's like, well, hey, you're, you got some potential. Then he gets invited to practice, right? And then he... Um, injuries, suspensions, whatever happens, he gets put on a World Cup roster, right? This this summer, he gets yeah, to play, yeah, gets yeah. to play in the World yeah. Cup, 
and then has arguably the best season of, you know, not arguably, he does, he has the best season of his life, right? And helps UC San Diego all the way to the final four, yep, right? Yep. And is, is uh, and improved dramatically there. So I would say to your point, we and, don't necessarily have an official B team right now, but there's an avenue, right, for guys to go and prove themselves and go. And he's one of the, he's, I think he's a great story. They'll come out, will he ever be an Olympian? Will he, have, you know, will he play again in another World Championship World Cup? Who, who knows? Maybe, yeah, maybe. Maybe. But now, at least, again, we're but not But you could ask parody. that question about any athlete on the roster. Totally. Will they totally. be another Olympian? You just never know what's going right. to happen, you know? Right. I, I think from the outside, and I'll put my, like, spectator hat on, you sure. know, like, from the outside, I say, okay, we have these we basically have these staple athletes that are on the national team that no one's going to knock out, mm. you know. And then you have this ODP system, and you start them at, you know, let's say 12, 13 years old. They're doing ODP. I have a couple kids. I'm coaching 12 and unders. I have a couple right. kids who are doing it. Um, and that's great. They get exposure to new sure. coaching, new techniques, and things mm. like that. But what do you say to the people who, you know, I was asking you yeah, this in the yeah. pre- yeah. You know, what do you say to the people who say it's it's all political? Like you already know who you want. Right. Why why are we doing this? Right. Like what what is what what do you say to, to someone how what what should a coach say to a parent yeah, yeah. that says that to them? I, I think it's pretty straightforward. I think you have to and I said this about coaches, you have to take risks. You have to challenge yourself and you have to know that this idea of some you know, political or, you know, pre-thought into selections or anything is going to be present in every aspect of your life. I yeah. mean, this is how the world works, right? Are you telling me that the next coaching job that you apply for, those ADs have done their homework. They already have their short list in their drawer. Yeah. You don't know if you're on the short list or not. And if a good AD is going to have that short list already written out, right, before you walk in the room. So should you, under the pretense that potentially this person has already thought of who they want to hire, not interview for the job? Yeah. Then, then, then you're really selling yourself short, and you're not giving yourself that opportunity. Um, I think we've we've tried to go above and beyond. Like I've, and this is just again a personal pet peeve of mine. Of trying to eliminate as much of the politics as we can, and any bias in the process, and and where and where we're at, and try to get as many eyes on there as we can, and give kids second chances. That happened one one of your athletes as well, yeah. right? Like, hey, you got cut by this coach. But maybe that coach made a mistake. We're going to bring you back, right? Yeah. And we're going to give you an opportunity. Yeah. I think it was Gazaniga, right? Yeah. Uh, we brought back this yeah. summer, yeah. you know, and say, but we, you deserve a second look, right? Mm-hmm. You deserve a second look. I think of Ava Johnson happened that up north. And that we, happened you know, to Matt Kasura, too. Correct. You know, he's right, starting right. to get more looks. Right. And back in the day, it happened to Travis Knoll, who ended up playing at Stanford. I remember him. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. so, you know, it, uh, I will be the first to say that USA Water Polo has made mistakes but have corrected they they're not blind to saying oh nope this is it we're done i've actually had some positive experience of having mm. usa water polo listen to me yeah, yeah and say yeah. oh okay i let's uh let's have another look mm. and i think and i appreciate the answer that you yeah, gave yeah, I, yeah. I think that's a good answer you know yeah. like just practically speaking yeah. you got to try it if you want the opportunity the mm. you know the talent will always rise. You know, you can't mm-hmm. you can't hide that talent, you know, no matter how young they are or whatever. Right. Does USA Water Polo, do you feel like that, those coaching leadership positions, you think they see that too? Like, hey, like, you know, the talents, you, you can't hide it. We'll find you if you're good enough. We'll find you. 100%. And I think the, the idea behind that, though, and I think where others have made mistakes in this in the past and what I caution our coaches and I caution our staff of, all the time is that you have to be open-minded. There's no, especially in water polo, man, especially in water polo, the way the complicated skill set it takes to be an elite level player Mm -hmm. may take some time 
to get to, right? Like if you those some people looked at Jeff Powers when he was uh, younger. I always use him as an example, mm-hmm. right? And and they would say, oh, here's this guy. He's gangly. He's, I know he's tall, but and he can swim, but you know, uh, you know. And they had all these question marks around him. You know, did you know that that guy was going to be a three time Olympian, one of the mm-hmm. best players in the world, right? On all, win a silver medal in the Olympics and all those things. You know, but you had to give him time to develop, right? Yeah. You had to give him time to develop. And so I think everybody has to keep an open mind. So it's, we can't also just say. You have to be an ODP to become an Olympian, right? It's obviously the pathway. There has to be some pathway. We have to have some structure. We have to have some yeah. system. But if somebody didn't try out or somebody's out on the on the outskirts or somebody wasn't very good in high school but gets a lot better in college, we have to give those athletes the opportunity to compete. We have to. We have to keep an open mind, you know? And I yeah. think that having that kind of – and having the able to, to have the, the mindset of uh, – that we this is not a this is an art not a science right that we're going to go into it one of them uh, I've been here's someone that you may have want to have on the podcast at some point a good 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 friend of mine now is a guy named Joel Francisco he uh, um, played water polo at Long Beach State okay. um, and uh, his career path ended up taking him he coached water polo but his career path ended up taking him into high school scouting for basketball um, and so he ended up writing for ESPN for 12 years on high school basketball scouting and so I started getting him involved in ODP now because I said listen I want you to come in unbiased. Give me your unbiased perspective, how we're making selections, mm. how our system is going, you know, thoughts, feedback in relation to how basketball operates, you know. So he's had some we've had some great talks and some fascinating things. And he's been really supportive uh, and actually helped make some adjustments along the way in kind of having that outside consultant feedback yeah. in. Uh, and his kids are playing water polo now. So he's kind of like eyes are all into it. Um, but one of the f- best con- one of the funnest conversations I say or most fun conversations we we have is when we start talking about all these, you know, we're basketball fans, right? We're, yeah. I'm a Laker fan as well. We start talking about all these guys in the NBA. He could trace back to how people were evaluating them at the high school level because wow. he was there, right? Yeah, hey, cool. I was at this combine camp in Vegas when Clay Thompson was playing, right? And he showed me this thing one time where, you know, all these guys were evaluating Clay, Clay Thompson while he was playing here in Santa Margarita in Southern California. Six out of 10, you know, uh, evaluators and analysts were saying he'll never be good. Yeah, he'll never make it in the NBA. He's, he doesn't have the physique, doesn't have this, doesn't have that. You know, six out of ten. And only so the minority of people who were evaluating Clay Thompson when he was playing, right, didn't think he was going to be as good yeah. as he is now. So, what does that say about what we're doing in ODP? What does it say about what we're doing here? There's no way with absolute certain confidence we can say, that guy or that girl is going to be an Olympian. Yeah. You just can't do that. Yeah, I can possible. maybe say that about Hannes, but, about, <laughs> but other than that, you know, yeah. because there's, there's, there's those guys are special, right? Hey, when we saw Tony, Maggie, Kylie, okay, you know, let's yeah. let's let's call a spade a spade. Those are some really special, really unique athletes that are that are going to be out there, and that's going to happen. Yeah. But there's no way with any certainty for the rest of the group. I'm going to say you can make a determination on someone's life and their career path, uh, athletic path. At 14, 15, 16 years yeah, old. of course. Do you think USA Water Polo and ODP mm-hmm. has created an image that they're only interested in size? Mm. I, I'm sure you've heard this. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Do, do you think that that's an image that USA Water Polo has sort of like put out there and said, listen, like we want big kids mm-hmm. like <laughs> which. Who, do, who doesn't? Right. I mean, right. Yeah, I mean, get, we were most successful here at Olu. When everybody was big, <laughs> I mean, so like, yeah. let's not hide it. I yeah. mean, look, yeah. uh, Hunnis is six six, Ash right. is six three six four, yeah, Matt yeah. same thing. I'm five ten. Right. You know, they yeah. obviously have more margin for error. Yeah. So I get the mentality, but I think some people get turned off and say, "Well, 
my daughter's never going to be big enough, so sure. why even do this? Yeah. So do you is that something that USA Water Polo has put out there and just said, look, you got to be this big? Or do you think that there's a lot of room? Because I see Maggie Steffens isn't that big. I mean, right, Brenda right. Villa wasn't big. No. I mean, you see a lot of people who aren't. So yeah. what do you think about that? No, it's a, it's, a, it's a classic question, right? Because, and it's the same thing in all sports. At no point has it ever been, you know, said we're only looking for big players, right? But you go back to the basketball argument as well. You know, if you could have a point guard that's 6'8", but has the same handles as someone who's 5'10". Muggsy Bogues. Yeah, Muggsy Bogues. <laughs> you're going to take the 6'8 guy, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. But if you're going to be Muggsy Bogues and you're going to be 5'3", 5'8", or whatever, you better have really, really good handles, right? So the, the question is not big versus small. Or, that's, that's such a reductive way to look at the question, right? Yeah. It's a really reductive way to look at this question because, to your point, we do have undersized athletes on the national team all the time. Johnny Hooper's, on the, Johnny Hooper's played in world championships last yeah. summer, all these things. He's not very – Tony wasn't very tall, you know, yeah. big. Like, these guys aren't good. But what did they – what did they have that set them apart from other people their size incredible skill sets and other things yeah Yeah, brenda via okay we can say she was short or you know and then you could say well what made her the player of the century right for the pac-12 or and you know the player of the decade for fina or whatever and all these different things but she's the smartest water pole player and all these athletes and people come back and say they played with and she was a phenomenal passer and she was so when i talk to the parents in odp and they say my my son or daughter is not going to be big enough to play i'm going to say yeah maybe they're not tall enough or big enough to be a center or a defender or any of those things. But what skill are they developing to overcome that, right? Yeah. So you can't come to me and say, well, I'm I'm a, a shorter athlete and I go, you know, 105 in my 100 freestyle and there's no way I'm ever going to make the national team. I'm going to say, yes, you, you're, you're right. You know, I'm going to be direct with you, okay? Yeah. If you are shorter, then you're going to have to get down to that. You're gonna, are you going to break 50 set for a male? Yeah. Yeah. Are you breaking 50 seconds? You better be going 47 if you're short. You better be super fast. I'll tell you right now, one of our favorite athletes in ODP right now, by far, and he's like, some of the coaches talk about having like a coaching crush on this kid, um, but it's like a Tanner Police out of uh, of CDM, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, and that kid is, that kid is not tall, right? That kid is, he is, he's on the shorter side, but I'll tell you one of the two observations that have been made about him, Dejan Udovicic, our Olympic coach, saw him play. Um, in Serbia, Tanner was on that team that won the gold medal at that okay. Darko Chukic tournament, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is kind of the world championship of 16 and under water pool, and we won it two years ago. And Dan's comment when he watched Tanner play was, that kid has the best fundamentals of any kid in our pipeline, period. Wow. And then we took him to uh, Pan Am's last summer, right? And he's, he's only born in 2002. He has a trajectory to kind of keep going with us. But at no point did we tell Tanner, hey, you're too short to play yeah. in ODP. We never did, right? Nobody did. In fact, but what kept him making teams? What kept these coaches saying, man, I love that kid? Every coach I talked to, man, I love that kid. Why? He's got a great attitude. He's lightning fast. He's a great teammate. He's got great vision. He's learned to shoot the ball, right? He's all these great qualities. So it overcomes the fact that, yeah, he's a little bit yeah. smaller in the pool. So this idea that we want big players, there's little players in any sport is just such a reductive way to look at it, right? Like, yeah. let's look at the whole no, skill that's set a good, and goes. That's a good point. And I think that's mm-hmm. great advice for the parents, you know, us being parents. We, we have to look at the bank account. We have right. to look at what's going on. We have to understand that it fits in. You know, even if my kid, my kid loves to do it, I want to encourage him. Mm. I'm willing to shell out the money. Mm. You know, I just want an equal opportunity. And, you know, I coached zone team yeah. um, and I had a great time doing it. I remember, and I'm, I'm sorry for naming names, but um, I cut Farrell South. Mm. And I don't think he'll ever forgive me for that. <laughs> I know Ken will never forgive sure. me for that. Yeah. Mm. Um, and he ended up being a great 
collegiate player, won a national championship with Cal. Mm -hmm. Um, But I cut him at the time uh, because of the swimming factor. It wasn't Mm -hmm. fast enough. Um, But you look back at that team, John Walters, Russell Renteria, Joe Ferretti, you know, you're talking some of the fastest, biggest kids. Mm -hmm. Um, So you do not necessarily make mistakes, but at the time you have to make a decision for what's best for that moment sometimes. Mm -hmm. And you may not be ready for that moment at 16. Right. Right. I mean, but that doesn't mean give up, but do you think that there are some people who think I got cut this year, so there's no way I'm going to make it next year. Yeah. Do you think that's a, is there a way to remedy that? Do you think? I think that's, that's mental toughness and being, being able to persevere and give yourself more than one chance. You're right. don't feel bad about cutting Farrell South, right? There's someone who cut Alex Obert for their, yeah. from their zone team before. Again, I'll use the Jeff Power example. Jeff Powers got cut from the youth team, right? And he comes from one of the greatest players. Again, six out of ten evaluators are kicking themselves in the pants for thinking Clay Thompson is going to be a bad NBA player, yeah. right? And now he's going to be the highest sought-after free agent, one of the highest sought-after free agents next summer, and a multiple-time uh, NBA champion. So this idea of evaluating and making decisions on players at a young age is is a bit of a fallacy. You can't have that much confidence. And again, ego is a really big turnoff. But yeah. these evaluators and these coaches say, "I know at this age, yeah. it's a real, it, it's not there." Yeah. But to tell a, for a kid and an athlete and a coach and a parent to make a decision not to come back and try out because they got cut the year before, I think is a more of a reflection on their commitment to themselves than it is on anything else. What I would love to see, I'll, I'll put it this way: What I would love to see an athlete, a parent. Or and a coach come back with and say, if 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 this athlete got cut this year, we're going to come back and we're going to prove you wrong, because yeah. we've been proven wrong hundreds of times over. Yeah. So be one of the people to prove us wrong. Yeah. I tell we, I tell the athletes I get cut all the time. What happened today was part of a process that has to be in place. Yeah. But there's a, several people in this room that I'm talking to right now, and I'm talking to the athletes who got cut, that are going to prove us wrong. Yeah. Are you going to be one of those athletes that proves us wrong, or are you going to accept this as reality and be done? And if you look at our current pipeline teams, I can point out kids on every single one of the pipeline teams from the summer that was cut somewhere along yeah. in the process. You know, that was cut somewhere or didn't make it or was considered a B team athlete on their zone team or, you know, all these things that somehow made it through. So why are you predetermining, right, that you're already not going to make it next year? No, come yeah. back and prove us wrong, yeah. right? Clay Thompson proved everybody wrong. Seth Curry proved everybody wrong. Devin George, you want to talk about a Laker yeah. uh, reference for those of us here in yeah. Southern He played Division Three basketball in college. Yeah. He was a Division Three basketball player in college, one of my favorite guys to follow on Twitter because he's got this real uh, open mind and philanthropic uh, mission. Um, but he played D3 basketball and then ends up being uh, on an on a NBA championship yeah. team. So, again, there's hundreds of examples. But yeah. even currently, with, I would say specifically, in our system right now, there are kids, several of the kids who are on our Olympic team, several kids who are on the youth team, junior team, cadet team, had been cut somewhere along in the process. Process. And I'd even venture to say, I, I, I say this to some coaches and we go back and forth sometimes, it's we almost should cut everybody once in the process because mm. it makes them tougher. Yeah. And then we find out who you really are. Yeah, because then you don't get people quitting really late in the game when right. it's almost like impossible to replace them at that point. Bingo. Bingo. And then we find out who you really are, right? If we cut you and you come back and you prove us wrong, mm-hmm. I know you're all in, yeah. right? But if we cut you and you run for your life and you make excuses and you never come back, then we actually found out early what kind of yeah. character you have and what kind of work ethic you have. And we, you know, and it doesn't bite us in the butt later, yeah, like you said. That's a, that's a great point. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to put you on the spot here. Yeah. Our women's team is obviously doing really well. And it seems like 
the pipe is pretty thick right now mm -hmm. um, with people coming through and, you know, talent coming through. I see it at the high school level. Mm -hmm. I see it at the age group level. I mean, there's a lot of talented kids mm -hmm. out there, a lot of talented females. Do you feel like we have the athletes on the men's side currently to be a top three team in the world? Or do you think we're still missing a couple just key components? Because and, yeah. and let me let me say with with this, you know, mm -hmm. you know, when you look at the silver medal team um, in 2008, the components that were there, you had an amazing outside shooter in mm -hmm. Tony Azevedo. You had an amazing center. You had great goalies. Mm -hmm. You had great role players who mm -hmm. are superstars, but they played a great right. role. Um, you had X factor players like Powers and. So uh, same thing with the 80s, you know, it, mm -hmm. you almost had like these dominant players at each position. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The game seems to have ev is evolving right now into a lot of utility, a lot of post up mm -hmm, guys. Mm -hmm. You know, there's not a, a, a ton of traditional center that I see. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, Ben Halleck obviously is sure. one, um, mm -hmm. but you don't see a ton of traditional centers all over mm -hmm. the country. Do we have what it takes right now athletically to, to compete at the highest level? Not consistently. That's my answer. Yes, we have talent. Yes, we have athletes, but it's never going to be consistent until we, going back to the first question you asked me, which is what I've been trying to think about a lot lately, is this continuing pipeline from an entry point into our sport into America into becoming an Olympian or playing masters or playing on into your upper yeah. 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, right? And until that piece of the pipeline is fixed, the top piece where you're playing after college is fixed, then whatever we do is going to be inconsistent, right? It's gotcha. just it's just going to so be. So that's right. your big point right there. That, yeah. That's like you're circling that thing in red marker. Post-college, you're you're losing them. Yeah, we are. And, and, and that's the point. Look, at the end of the day, it, this isn't rocket science. When we send teams out the last few years where their average age is 20 years old, 21 years old, and then they're facing teams where the average age is 28, 29 yeah. years old. And that's the peak of your athletic And that's career, the peak, basically. especially for men, right? Yeah, and again, yeah. different women peak athletically at a younger age. Yeah. So Amanda Beard, for us who grew up in Irvine, can mm -hmm. be 15 years old and win a medal in the Olympics in swimming. Yeah. Okay? A 15-year-old boy is very different than a 15-year-old girl, yeah. right? Yeah. So athletically for men, so again, so for our women, our women's team can compete with an average age of 21 years old because these are women who are competing, are, are really reaching getting close to the height of because their athletic they're playing in the toughest mm. league as right. you alluded to earlier right. so they're mm. they are 21 22 playing against other 21 22 year old you know right. i'm talking about the fishers for example right, you right, know what right, i mean right. like this is as the peak of their careers for sure i mean sure but i the, mean maybe maybe not i don't know yeah maybe but the, also the just the science of it right you know and, and i wouldn't be the one to speak to it but you know uh, from an uh you know, a biology standpoint and anatomy standpoint, like mm -hmm. women are physically developed at 21, 22 yeah. to the close to their peak. Right. Um, and with, we have like, and I'm gathering all the science that backs all these things up. We talk about it. So they're there, right. They're competing. They're physically ready. And to your point, they just made about the league. They're physically ready and they have the experience. That's a great combination for our women. Yeah. Right. So they've already played in the best league in the NCAA and physically they're ready to compete. There's no, but now you're talking about a 20 year old guy like Ben, Ben Halleck, who we obviously unanimously everyone was going to say right has great potential should be an olympian was an olympian right will continue to be one of our best players but when we've sent him out to these tournaments the last few years world championships right olympic games and things like that he's obviously not playing to his fullest potential because a he doesn't have the experience yet and b he's nowhere near the physical peak of what he's going to look like yeah right so where where do we really want ben halleck playing do we want him at 
20 years old playing in the Olympics, or he was 18 when he went in Rio, right? He was 18 years old in Rio. What he's, what he's really, when we're really going to see his potential, I should say, is when he is 28 years old, 29 years old, physically, right, in, in the prime of his career. And then on top of that, we'll have had the experience, right, that mm-hmm. will have will be commiserate to that in the, sen- in the sense of playing in Europe, playing in all these championships and having done that. And so to say that when will our men's team be consistent is our men's team, when we stop sending teams, right, that are – uh, continuously at this young average age of against our opponents, we're basically sending amateurs to play professionals. Mm-hmm. That's that's this is the analogy. We are sending an amateur team to go play a professional squad. And when we won in 2008, we sent a professional squad, right? So the one time that we had a professional squad of athletes, professional athletes, and guys that I have a ton of respect for, right? The guys that you mentioned, they started a process. Yeah, under, legends. And, you know, and they started a process and they stuck together mm-hmm. and they played professionally in Europe and they stuck through it and they did it together and then they peaked in 2008 and then they had to have a couple of things go their way, right? Yeah, yeah. Which is any any sports, any tournament. And then they and then they peaked and they won a medal. Yeah. And that's that's was the formula that worked at that time. But then kind of we talked about the 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 calendar or me the history of men's collegiate water polo, right? Well, let's look at the history of uh the men's national team in America, right? In the last 30 years, that's our only Olympic medal was 2008, right? It's our only Olympic medal in 30, in 30 years. And overall, we have something like seven, eight, nine FINA medals in 30 years. Mm-hmm. Well, what happened 30 years ago? Well, 30 years ago is when the former Yugoslavia broke up, yeah. right? So it kind of it created more competition, put us in that spot. And then now the trend is going further and further into um, where the sport here in America, kids are less likely to go to Europe and play. Kids are less likely to become professional athletes. They're more incentivized. The more This is all related, Steve, right? Let's go back. Everyone's going to these top four schools, these Pac-12 schools, to potentially become an Olympian. But what happens when you go to that school and you're now given the academic incentive of taking that degree and using it to make money and have a great job? I was just going to – that was going to yeah. be my next point was, yeah. you know, Ben Halleck at 28, yes, monster, right. scary. Right. Okay, what's the incentive to keep playing? <laughs> 10 years after his first Olympics, Jeez. will he keep him playing? That's the question. That's the I'm not just part. saying for me, but I think as a country, as an organization, a U.S. water, we need to figure out. We need Ben Halleck to play at 28 years old. So the, you know? the biggest thing that you hear the people in the stand saying is mm-hmm. we need a professional league. Always. Yeah. So so that's pretty much the only way. I, it's, I don't think it's the only way. I would disagree with that because – Here's here's a direct correlation, right? Our men's Olympic soccer team. They didn't even qualify for the Olympics. Yeah. Uh, excuse me, didn't qualify for the, the World, World Cup. Cup yeah. Right? Didn't qualify for the World Cup last summer, right? And how long has MLS been around and how yeah. well is MLS doing, right? In the Major League Soccer, yeah. which I love. I don't know. I mean, I you go to a, a Galaxy game now or I went to an LAFC yeah. uh, game um, with my dad uh, a couple of months ago. That was the, one of the coolest things I'd seen in a long time. The stadium is pumping, brand new stadium. So clearly there's money. Yeah. There's a professional league. There's an avenue for American players to go into this professional league. Well, why hasn't that translated into the U.S. men's soccer program becoming better so i can't say that the 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 a professional league is the is the only way and it's the only avenue to do that do i think we need one absolutely it'd be great to have yeah. and I it think does it's provide incentive it provides incentive and it's great and it provides a forum for people to play but i don't think it's the only answer i also think it's important for us to integrate just find a way to integrate national team training and national team life and money mm-hmm. to be direct into those athletes' lives to incentivize them to go. They can go play in a league in Europe like the 2008 team did. Ever And right now, uh, Steve, we have 10 guys playing in Europe, you know, and in, in fact more, 11, 12, if you count guys maybe on the fringe or just getting invited to come yeah. back. We have a lot of guys playing in Europe, but they're not making a lot of money, right? Yeah. Can they do that for 10 years? What Jesse Smith, um, 
Jeff Powers, Tony Bailey, all these guys did when they made like legitimate careers of being there. They were making a lot of money out there, and frankly, they made this, the the decision to take their families with them and yeah. spend time and like yeah. really commit to it. To your point, how do we incentivize them to say, "Hey, you're going to go live in Zagreb, you know, for the next you know yeah. four years straight, or you're yeah. going to go?" It's the people, athletes, and families are having a harder time making that decision. Yeah, I mean, you ha- you're sitting on a degree from one of the best universities in the world, right? You have a job offer here that will, you know, pay you six figures or something right out of college. And we want you to go across the world and, and be in a foreign country to play for four years for maybe a salary. Right. Maybe not a, even what would be considered a salary. Right. That's a very tough call to make. It's a tough call. And, and I, so I don't want to make that as an excuse. So our challenge is, OK, yes, we could use a professional league. But yes, but how do we work with these athletes individually, make sure they're they're fulfilling their career paths yeah. and getting making some money and then also still developing to get there? Um, they're developing their water polo skills. So we get them when they're playing at their peak so, ages. So USA Water Polo, in some ways, the ideal um, that the ideal structure for the organization for the top level athletes mm-hmm. would be almost like a mentorship placement type mm-hmm. thing where it's like, okay, we're going to put you here. You're going to be able to make this money, this much money. You're going to be able to continue like with your career. You're going to be able to do all these things. Mm-hmm. And then when this doesn't work, we might move you over here. Is that what you're saying? Like, I mean, yeah. that, this is like dream world. I'm sure, saying, sure. you know, almost like doing career placement for these top level athletes so that they can continue to develop. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And we do some of that now. Uh, could it be better? Yes, you know, yeah. I mean, and so, but I think some of that's happening now. And then some of the athletes I've talked to when I when I when I ask these guys and girls one on one, hey, do you want me to help you with a career that it kind of goes against the point we just made? They just graduated from one of the top four universities in the world. They don't necessarily need our help to find a career, yeah, right? Like, true. So, if, like when I talk to an athlete that graduated from Stanford, I say, "Hey, do you need help finding a job?" They're looking at me and they almost laugh. Like, yeah, I graduated from Stanford, dude. I, I went yeah. to the, the the career center yesterday and yeah. right four four startups offered me jobs. Yeah. Oh, okay, you don't need my help, you know. So yeah. it's not just about the career placement, although I think we do some of that and it could be better. But I think they're going to find jobs. But I think they need to find a place. Like so, right now our, our board and CEO are working really hard on building a pool. Like you've helped yeah. kind of some of the political lobbying in this, and you know this will come in a become official as as time goes on here but athletes need to know where they're going to be so if we have a home pool and we have a home stadium and a home place where they can be at least they know okay i can get a house here my job offerings are going to be in this mm-hmm. 30 to 50 mile radius so you know so they have some consistency and they can plan around it but it's difficult for our athletes right now they have to again maybe they're at los alamitos or at long beach they have to think about how do i get a job and how do i find a place to live and then in this kind of um not necessarily consistent you know, situation. Yeah. Um, because Los Al's being pulled in different directions too. Totally. Yeah. So it's not, not your home. It's not our home, you know? And is it, is it, and is it really the quality of a home that our athletes deserve? Yeah. It is home though. Right. Yeah. We it's, love it's just like us with, uh, yeah. SEC. Right. You know, it's like, we love it and it's great. And then there, you know, we're, we take care of it like it's our own, but it's not our own. I can't yeah. have a practice during certain times. Correct. Right, you can't just show up. And you know, like even that. though I may want to do it on a president's day, even the campus is closed. Mm-hmm. I cannot work out on that day. You know, right. and, and so it's like things like that. Those are those small challenges add up to big challenges <laughs> at the end. They do. And if I'm dealing with that at the high school level, and it affects me, mm-hmm. I can't imagine the ripple effects that it must have at the national level, mm-hmm. all the way up to the top. And now you're looking at players that go. I got these other opportunities over here, you right. know, and that I that that does seem 
really, really challenging. And it seems like it's something that's been a challenge for a while, you know, like a challenge for 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. Like 2012 to me was a really important year in terms of just Mm. looking back um, in water polo, because Mm. you have this great team who wanted to go make one more run and, Mm -hmm. and they deserve that. No one could, you know, I I don't think anybody could take that away from them. Hey, they they were still competing at a very high level. But you also lost a whole generation of player. For sure. That was ready Mm -hmm. and prime for the picking, you know. And then that set us back, I think. Would you you agree with that? Yeah, no, there's no doubt. Yeah, I I don't fault them for wanting to make that mother run and go for a gold. But there was also... I mean, Ed and I are still playing for Ecuador, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, you know, we'll make as many runs as we can. Let's let's go for it, right? Yeah, push, yeah. man. Keep yeah, pushing. Yeah. Um, and, and God bless you for it. But uh, but I do think there's there's always going to be a consequence for any decision you make. Yeah. So they went all in in 2012, right? As before I worked for US Water, water Polo in this role. But the decision was we're going all in, right? Mm-hmm. We're going all in on this group. We're going all in here and we're going for it. Well, you go all in. You're either going to win it all yeah. or you're going to lose yeah. a lot. Right? And you brought a couple. Yeah. Oh, USA Water Polo did bring a couple. I mean, Shea Buckner was right. a new. J.W. Crumples was a new guy. Right. I, he wasn't on 2008. I'm pretty sure he wasn't. I yeah. thought J.W. Was, his, was that was his first. But, you know, guys that we, from our perspective, were looking at going, that's that's the future right, right. there. Right, like, right, 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 um, right. But, you know, you mi- we missed out on a guy like, uh, you know, an Adam Huco. Who sure. was a phenomenal player in college, you know, and I even throw my my boy Caleb Hamilton in there, who was kind of on the fringe mm-hmm. right there. Great players, and they just said, "There's no path at this point. Yeah. I, I can't wait another four years." I could name another twenty names yeah. in that group too, and I won't do it because I think it appeals some scars that yeah. some that that guys talk to me about all the time. But there there were guys that uh, there's a there's a good group of guys that are now in their mid thirties or lower thirties yeah. that actually should be just retiring or just finishing playing that ended their careers a long time ago because they, and we need them. I need, we need 30, 30 year old guys on yeah. the team. We need 31 year old guys on the team. Like we talked about if the average age is going to be 28, 29 on the team for us to be successful. We need guys in their yeah. low thirties to play. Yeah. So, you know, again, so I won't bring up their names. I think it's really them, important but, that you yeah. recognize that though. I yeah. think, I think for the people listening and people who are looking at the national teams and really, you know, are, are following that, I think it's really insightful to have somebody in the role that you have to look back and and see, hey, we made this mistake, or it, I, I won't even call it a mistake. Right. We, we, it was a strategy. We yeah, it was a choice. we went because I. How can you tell Adam Wright mm. that he can't play? The guy was still playing at a super high level. You know what I mean? So Tony, all those mm. guys. Mm. Um, so I and there's no there's no way to say that that group would have done better than this group or vice versa, mm. but. Um, I think the point about having a consequence mm. um, or whatever that repercussion is going to be, mm. it could be po- it could have been positive. It could have been really positive. What would have the gold medal done for us? Yeah. What if that group won? But it's, it's just the poker analogy. They went all in. They went all in. Either we were going to strike gold and we'd have a silver medal in one Olympics, a gold medal in the next Olympics, and we'd be riding this wave and, and good. Oh or there was going to be a consequence or, you know, mm-hmm. like you said, a repercussion that comes with that. And that's with any strategy that you yeah. take, you yeah. know, and um, and that can be extrapolated into every decision that's been made recently on the Olympic teams, on both men's and women's teams. And the same thing can be said what happens when all these uh, 
uh, women's athletes may potentially retire after uh, Tokyo or yeah. any of those things. In, in any case, it's not mistakes. To your point, it's what are what are what strategy are you taking, and are you willing to live with that strategy? And to your point of or to the point of having athletes continue to play into their upper twenties and mid thirties, right? It's not a one. There's not one solution that's going to fix that. So that's my point: is that you can't just say there's going to be a professional league. Mission yeah. solved. And U.S. Warpole is doing a great job of building the stadium, and it's an admirable thing, and I love that we're doing it. And it's a really huge piece of it. But that's one piece, and then there are going to be other pieces that are going to come with it as well. Like there's a, there's, there's, The solution is broad, and there's going to be have to, a lot of different things that need to be addressed for us to move forward. And it's, again, not dissimilar to soccer or volleyball or other, other sports that are going through similar things yeah. to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, mm-hmm. a, a, very, um, that's a very robust topic and i i think at some in some ways it could be a controversial topic mm-hmm. but i definitely I, I don't know i i just really appreciate you being able to call out both sides like you know there mm-hmm. are some good there's some bad i mean and that's okay i think the more we all know you know the members know about you know what's going on or how we can help or mm-hmm. how we can support or or encourage our kids to do because I, I deal with a hundred kids, you know, right. and, and like, I want to be able to go back to them and say, Hey, look, you have a chance. Like, yes, you do to right. the athletes that really do have a chance. Of course. I mean, I'm right. not going to tell anybody who, that they have a chance, mm-hmm. but I think knowing where you're going is an important, is an important thing. So mm-hmm. I'm going to sort of shift a little bit and sure. I, we're sort of running out of time here, but mm-hmm. I wanted to get a couple other uh, questions in. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess what what have you seen in you kind of touched on this a little bit so maybe not too too much more but mm. uh, what do you see in some of like the successful players that you've been around mm. like not just in the, in America but around the world what are some of those similarities that you see like you were telling your own kid hey mm. you gotta learn this you yeah. gotta be good at this is there any one or two things that you see I, I think I think that uh, yeah I'll, I'll keep that one brief I think I think what's what's um, really important for us as coaches in America and it's and it's in the same way around the world the most successful athletes that we have in water polo most successful players we have in water polo are great athletes you got to be athletic right mm-hmm. like so i think this idea of you know having specific skills in water polo that get home that has to be later in life you know i think we need good athletes like so for me when i watch the best players on our women's team right now they could have potentially been really good athletes at other sports, mm-hmm. right? I'm talking about the really good ones, right? Our top, like Rachel Fatal, Kylie Nuschel, Maggie Steffens, Melissa Seidemann, Ashley Johnson. If they chose a different sport, right, yeah. and stayed and focused on that sport, they would probably have been really good at that sport, right? Like Rachel Fatal got offered Division One volleyball scholarships, right, to play, you wow. know? And so think about that. I just think those are great athletes, yeah. right? They're not, and that has made them into great athletes gold medal winning water pole players, you know? And I think what we need to focus on is that athletic development. Sometimes, and it happens in America all the time, and again, this is another subject, is that we get focused on the specialization and we get Mm -hmm. focused on like, it's water polo, water polo, water polo. But what's most important is that can the athletes swim? Are they fast? Do they have good legs? You know, can they move in the water well? Do they have those athletic qualities? And then we can teach them the finer points of the game later. So I just think we need to develop great athletes. So if Mm -hmm. there's advice for those athletes, it's develop your overall athleticism. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I, I agree with you 100. Yeah. percent You could see who is an athlete and who is not. Right. Right. Mainly when you go play basketball. Right. 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 Get on the court. I mean, you got the quick. guy who cannot dribble at the yeah. and walk at the same time, and you got yeah. the guys hitting 
you know, doing crossover dribbles and hitting threes. Uh, right. You know, it's very clear right, right away. And I know Newland used to do basketball. He yeah. Used to, yeah, I remember. Yeah. When I was doing those workouts, he used to play basketball with the guys or have them play basketball. And so. Racco used to have the guys play soccer. You could figure that out. But at that point in life, that's for fun and, like, Yeah, to no, definitely. But I'm, early in life, yeah. figure out how to develop those yeah. skills. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, how do you sort of measure those things up with – your role as a USA water polo, you know, development, you know, you're, mm-hmm. you're in charge of development and then you also want, or you think that mm-hmm. some kids should be playing, you know, different sports, right? right, right how, right. how can we merge the two so that we're not losing kids, but we're gaining kids. Like I have a kid here at Orange Lutheran mm-hmm. and I hope his mom and dad are listening. <laughs> who's a phenomenal water polo player. Right. Right. But he's playing football. Ah, uh, yeah. This guy would be a game changer for me. Right. How do we, how how do we make it so that, or is there an idea, or is there something that you've talked about? I mean, do yeah. you do you know? I mean, maybe no, you I don't. think I think it's uh, a really good question because I also, it's funny that you have that specific example here. <laughs> yeah. I hear that example a lot in Texas. I hear oh, that really? example a lot in Illinois. Oh wow! I've heard that example in Davis recently. I heard that example in the Pacific Northwest. You know, you get these guys who are like. And girls who are just really good athletes, and then they're getting pulled into four other sports, yeah. you know? Um, and then they're turning, you know, they're deciding, do I take the football scholarship? Do I take the water polo scholarship? Do I do swimming? It happens a lot in swimming, right? Do I just go into swimming yeah. or water polo? There's not, a, obviously, like a black and white answer to this right away. But I do think what we have in water polo, the pitch that, you know, we can give in water polo is that because it is a smaller sport, um, there's more of an opportunity for an advancement. So if you are someone who is just a really good athlete, yeah. Um, so the people I mentioned before that are really good athletes on our national team now, they could have been top level athletes in other sports, like I said, but would they have been Olympians? Yeah. Would they have been gold medalists? Or would they have been professionals? Would they have been professionals? Yeah, we don't know. They could have been great. They may have been Division One All-Americans and they may have made some national teams along the way, but would they have been Olympians? And so for my, my point for people like that who are like these really good athletes is like, do you want to be, do you want to have a, you know, a greater chance at achieving higher levels in your sport, yeah. in this sport? And then being one of the masses in the other sport. But I don't. And then the second very brief answer to that would be to that. I mean, culturally in America, we have to start thinking about how multi-sport athletes, you know, uh, work in youth sports. Like, yeah. I mean, we have to do better about that. But because everyone's focused on the business side of things, yeah. we tend to hoard our athletes and keep them away. And that's yeah. you lose a kid and you're like, what the heck is going on? Why aren't you playing water polo? Right. Kid's like nine years old. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you got to play water polo. Yeah. Like, yeah. Kid and the parent and the smart parents looking like the kid's nine. He'll be back. You know what yeah. I mean? He played this season. You know and, what's what's funny? Yeah. And, I, and I hate to say this. Yeah. Um, I, I won't use the name, but um, mm-hmm. I have a two time Olympian um, mom. Uh-huh. Who who two kids play water polo at my club, uh-huh. and every winter, she takes off, and mm-hmm. she goes. We're pulling the kids. We'll be back in the spring. Right. We'll play for a couple months in the spring. Then we're going to take off. Right. They play basketball. They play baseball. They're doing all these different things. I mean, two time Olympian. How do you argue that? Right. You know what I mean? Like right. obviously, she's trying to harness that athleticism because mm-hmm. she knows how important it is. So, mm-hmm. um, I like that. Um. Who have been your uh, biggest mentors or influences in coaching and in the role you're doing now? Yeah. Um, it'd be hard to call out like anyone individually, you know, um, because I'd for sure, for sure forget some people. Um, but I, I I will give the answer that I think I've, I've tried to have the attitude or I've tried to have the mindset that I can learn from anybody that I talk to. 
and anybody that I work with. And there's things that I say, there's things that I've said in this podcast that are probably words of that come from someone else, yeah, you know, yeah. that are or have been derived from a conversation or derived from working with someone else. So um, I, I try to see myself or take the approach of being a um, kind of like a vessel of all kinds of different learnings I take from from everyone around me. And whether that's an athlete, a player, a coach, another administrator, Right, I think I think we should all try to have that kind of growth mindset of where where can we pick things up from and learn. And so, um, you know, there's uh, there's an old saying like I'd rather I'd rather be a disciple of my own disciple, right, yeah. than than follow a quote unquote leader, right. Yeah, and I'd, yeah. I'd rather do that. So I I do I, I could I could list a lot of names, but I think I would take advantage of the wealth of human resources that we have around us and people yeah. that are around us. Yeah. You know? Well, and I think that you to me it seems like you're taking that mindset into the job that you're doing now, yeah. which is listening and talking and and hearing and offering your own ideas, obviously. But I think it's really important to have a person in that position who has that mindset mm. because how else are we going to, how else would you know if it was just one way right. and it might not be the right way, you know? So, and then my final question, what advice would you give to a young coach, a, a player or administrator you know, either of those three or all three, maybe it's the same advice, but, you know, someone just getting into coaching right now. Yeah. I, I would say going back to the story that I had about Bucknell, I wouldn't be sitting here today talking about the same things we're talking about without having to take a risk. So I took a risk. I felt like I was getting really comfortable in this high school teaching and coaching job. And I was a little worried that I was going to be there for the rest of my life in the same place. And I said, you know what, I'm going to pack up my bags and move from Burbank, yeah. California to Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. And I took a massive risk and that could have blown up in my face. Yeah. But that I go back to that risk I took there in 2005 to now almost 2019. Right. And, and the years later that came here. And I would I wouldn't be here where I'm at without taking yeah. that risk. I take you have to take risks. You got to get uncomfortable. You got to try things and know that that especially in water polo, you have there's going to be opportunities out there. There's a shortage of coaches. If you're a coach right now in water polo, there's a lot of opportunities out there. Go mm. take advantage. Go to the East Coast. Go to Texas and 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 help out Austin College. Go to the Pacific Northwest. Try to start a new club. There's ventures and opportunities out there for everybody. Water polo is in a very right place to grow. Like you could. Um, Working with a young coach, Zach Capos, played at uh, Long Beach State, right? Went back to Florida. Now he's on the west yeah. coast of Florida helping it grow in Clearwater and in that area. And here's this guy. There was nothing there. He's starting from scratch, and he's building it up, and now he's going to be a professional coach with his own club and own things and, and kind of own that area and live in, in this really cool spot yeah. in the country. Like, take a risk. You know, take a risk. And, and I think that's – it's really important to take those risks. And, and, and then I pinch myself sometimes. Like, you said I had a pretty good seat at NCAAs. Well, I was, I was <laughs> laughing to myself because I was looking at this credential that I had. on my name on it, USA Water Polo. My name is this credential for a VIP pass to the NCAAs. Yeah. And I turned to, to the guy next to me, and I'm like, you know – I used to coach JV girls water polo, right? At Burbank High. Yeah. I'm just masquerading as a as a <laughs> administrator level. Like yeah. I have some so that leads to kind of my second point. Like take some risks, but also have some gratitude and have some perspective, right? Have some perspective that that this is just water polo, right? That there's bigger things in life, there's bigger things going on. So it's not an end all be all. I'll see young coaches quit and say, Well, I didn't get that college job that I was looking for yeah. and be done. It's like, no, that's I mean, remember, there's not that many college jobs, right? Yeah. Go to a college and help start one up, you know? Um, or you know, I'm having this challenge with my club. Well, then, you know, f try to try to address those. We don't we, we we lose the gratitude that like how lucky are we, Steve, you and I and people our age that what has water polo given us? 
in our lives. It's given us a ton. And I can't, I can't be more grateful for the fact that if I lost water polo right now, of the opportunities that allotted me, allotted me a front row seat at NCAA this last yeah. weekend, allotted us to travel the world, right? We've yeah. all traveled the world because of water polo. We've traveled the country because of water polo. Yeah. Look at the cool things that that has given us. And if you don't have that gratitude or that perspective for it, it's going to be hard to be a professional coach and be, be successful at yeah. it or an administrator or an athlete or anything. So, I mean, I think if I had to narrow it down, it's like be willing to take risks and have that have that perspective and gratitude in the process. Yeah. I think most of us who are coaching up to this point for as mm-hmm. long as we have, yeah. um, we feel like we're giving something back because water polo gave us so much, right. you know? And I think if you don't have that perspective, you're kind of lost in, yeah. in, in some ways. So, Agreed. um, you know, how can someone get in touch with you? Like social yeah. media, like what, yeah. what's your, what's your handle on Twitter? You know, yeah. like people reach out to you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Easy enough. Find me on Twitter. It's at, at coach Abdu coach uh, underscore Abdu ABDO um, you know, people find me on Twitter a lot, you okay. know, um, there. Uh, yeah. I want you to you be know. accessible and let people ask questions yeah. or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I know uh, social media is a great platform to just be able to ask a quick question. I'm sure you're pretty involved and are willing to respond. So yeah. I think that's a cool thing, a cool tool. No, for sure. I love these conversations. You know, I, I love it. And I know, I know we could, I told you this before this podcast started, I'm like, this could be a full day, right? Because yeah. there's so much to talk about. Yeah. There's so much there, but no people, if people want to ask more questions or be involved, yeah, you can find me on Twitter, um, at coach Abdu at coach underscore Abdu or email me first initial last name at usawaterpolo.org. Um, you can always ask or, or just wherever you see me, you know, I think we're, we're, we're active. I, I, I like having these conversations and I, and I don't think our sport is going to grow or develop without us having some more collaboration and a more of a common vision of seeing the sport get yeah. to reach its potential. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate your time coming over here. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for being on the podcast. No, thank you for what you're doing here, Steve. Right. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks.